The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. I'm good. Some of you remember that. First John, and we're in chapter 2, and we'll be in verse 18 to start off with. So we've been in First John for several weeks, and we're going to talk about something this morning, and the title is just going to be Betrayed. And uh, I don't know how many of you have seen this movie. I, I really don't know how old of a movie it is. It's several years old. But it's called The River Wild. I don't know if y'all remember that. But in that movie, uh, there's a scene in there that really shows you a picture of a face of someone who's been betrayed. And in this movie, uh, it starred Meryl Street, I think, and uh, Kevin Bacon was in there. And it was about a rafting trip of this family. And they had got together and started uh, down this uh, trip on the river and... Uh, during that trip, they meet up with a couple of guys, and, and kind of the gist of the movie is maybe this family is having a, a little trouble, marital problems, and they're kind of going to draw themselves back together on this trip and give it another chance. But they meet up with these guys and uh, come to find out they're bank robbers. If you've never seen it, then I'm going to spoil a little bit of it for you, but it's still a pretty good movie. Uh, but of course, they don't know this in the beginning, and they... Uh, the, the guys say, hey, we have uh, we've don't have a way down the river. We've lost our guide or whatever. We need somebody to help us get down the river. And uh, Merrill Street was actually a guide on the river at one time. So she starts helping them down the river along with her family. And her son, Rourke, wasn't that his name, or O'Rourke or something like that, boy, he needed a spanking in the worst way. But anyway, uh, he befriends this Kevin Bacon, and I don't remember his name in the movie, and uh, as the movie progresses, it finally becomes a scene that uh, the bank robbers no longer need anyone but the guide. And uh, Rourke has made friends with uh, this particular guy, and he has a gun, and he decides to shoot the father. And uh, all of a sudden, the son realizes that the Kevin Bacon character is not what he pretended to be, and he's betrayed by him. And the the look on his face and uh, the look on the family's face when they realized that they were betrayed, that, that's kind of the turning point of the movie. And as this goes on and you... Uh, you start to see that the, the guy that you thought was a certain person who was a good guy, who was uh, a friendly uh, kind of fellow, all of a sudden you realize that he is anything but. He had just put on a, uh, a kind of a fakeness to get through what he wanted and where he was headed. So there's something about betrayal that, that kind of angers us, maybe even enrages us. And even in the, the directors of this movie realized that that was a point a turning point of the whole movie, betrayal. I mean, that's really not what the movie was about, but that was a, a defining moment within the movie. And that's when the audience realized, and there, there were some ideals leading up to that that you could kind of figure it out, but that's when the, the cat was out of the bag, so to speak, was at that moment of betrayal. And if you think about this, uh, betrayal is, is nothing new throughout Scripture. And I was just thinking about this uh, after you hear of a, uh, uh, a, you never hear of a newborn baby being named Judas, do you? Why is that? Because of betrayal. Or uh, Benedict Arnold. You don't have any kids named that, I don't think. 
I don't, I don't ever see or meet any. Here, this is my son, Benedict Arnold. Uh, and, and why is that? Because betrayal is just not popular with people, and it's something that's a stigma against people. And unfortunately, betrayal is not something we just see in the movies. Uh, it, it's also something that we can experience on our spiritual journey. And this morning, I really wrestled with this message. I mean, I really uh, read this and wrestled, do we want to go through this, and is this a good message for us? But I really think it is, and uh, I want you to begin to think about, maybe you've never been betrayed spiritually. Maybe you've been betrayed spiritually. Maybe you've been betrayed uh, in many ways in your family or in your life, but I want you to think about, have you ever been betrayed spiritually by someone. I've told you all about a guy that I worked with who, who told me that he loved this deacon in this particular church. And there was a problem came up within the church and just so happens that the guy I worked with was kind of on one side of the issue and this deacon was on the other side of the issue. And through that process, he, he was betrayed and he he told me as we worked together for years and rode together in the same truck for years, he said, that guy hurt me deeper than he'll ever know. And he's out of church now. And I talked to him so many times about, well, you can't let someone else's actions affect your, your spiritual walk. But, but he experienced betrayal, and it, and it, was, it was devastating in his spiritual walk. As I began to think about that, I thought, you know, maybe this is something we need to look at and we need to take care of uh, is, is an issue of betrayal. And I want to tell you a story about a guy who, this is a true person, we're going to call him Joe. He was a member of a certain church back in the late 70s. He was a gifted musician. He was a speaker. He was highly motivated in his musical career, career during those uh, early years, Joe wrote music, he led church worship, he and his family were a part of the church that he was in, he was a, a very active, his musical gifts were not unnoticed because eventually a Christian music producer contacted him and said, hey, we want you to, to compose a children's musical. I mean, he was, he was really being noticed, uh, but Joe never finished that musical because... While he sat where you sat, not in this church, but basically as a Christian, he, a proclaiming Christian, he sat where you sat, he sang as you sang, he led in worship, he uh, traveled to other churches speaking and preaching, and uh, the whole time he was doing that, there was these inward doubts. And those inward doubts were just kind of building up, and finally Joe concluded that God was not real at all. Listen to his own words. He said, I discovered that there was no basis for believing that God existed. By 1983, Joe had to admit to himself and friends that he was an atheist. He joined the atheist movement. Later, he wrote a letter to the Island Valley Daily Bulletin, and he explained why he was, why he was no longer a Christian, and he went on to tell others why they shouldn't be Christians any longer. He was then invited to the Phil Donahue show, which some of y'all probably don't even know who that is. You young folks wouldn't even know who that is. But he was, he was asked to come onto that show and encouraged others to leave their Christian faith. And then beyond that, he eventually wrote a book of why people should betray their Christian walk. 
And he went from that gifted leader to the opposite of saying, you know what, there's no basis for believing that God even existed. Now, can you imagine in that church, a large church, how they must have felt betrayed? How they must have thought about Joe and, and really looked at his life and, and heard all the things that he had to say and then he betrayed all of those there. About 10 years later, which would be getting up in the, the mid-90s, <coughs> there was a new pastor at that church and he wrote a letter to Joe. He said, I want to induce myself uh, uh, to a once member. And he said, I want you uh, to think about the irony of the one who sends this letter. And the pastor said, I was once an atheist raised in an atheist home who became a Christian. And think of the irony of one that I'm writing to today who was raised in a Christian home who gave his life to atheism. Now this is what Joe wrote back. Dear Tim, it's nice to hear from you. I remember the church with fondness mainly for the many members there. The bottom line for me now is Christianity is not true. The virgin birth and the resurrection did not happen. And we don't need Jesus in order to live a happy, fulfilled, meaningful, moral life. In fact, it is much easier without Christianity. If we truly follow the teachings and the examples of Jesus, the world would be a worse mess, in a worse mess than it is now. However... I realize that many people do feel such a need. And if Christianity is the only way they can manage to be moral, then I suppose we should be happy that they have found something, even if it's false. I do, not, I do a lot of speaking, concerts, and debates. And if I ever get back into your area, maybe we can meet. Best wishes, Joe. Now, you may or may not know anyone that's in those categories, or you may not can remember in your spiritual life a time that you've been betrayed, but how can we make sense uh, out of Joe uh, or out of the Joes we meet in life? How can we make sense out of, out of spiritual betrayal? I mean, we've been studying through John's letter to this church in Asia Minor, and I want to remind you again that this was the church, okay? I told you a couple of weeks ago, it's not like they could say, well... I don't particularly like Brother Jake's preaching, or I don't particularly like the music, or I don't particularly like something. I'm just going to go down the street to another church. That wasn't, a, that wasn't a possibility, because there was one church in the new movement of Christianity. So there wasn't a church on every street corner. So we had a, you had a group of members, a group of believers there in Asia Minor. They walked together in their faith. Jesus Christ had come. He had... He had brought salvation. They had learned a new teaching. They had been moving forward spiritually together as a church. And then all of a sudden, some of the Christians in that same church begin to embrace false teachings about God. They begin to hear other teachings and they begin to, to compromise their spiritual truths. They begin to question the truth of God's Word. So John, here in chapter 2, starting in verse 18... He addresses that concern. You have a group of people, and I want you to think about this. Think of this church, and uh, think of our church, and think of we've, we're growing spiritually, and we're growing closer together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and, 
And all of a sudden, a, a group in this church rises up and says, you know what, I, I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the way to, to God anymore. And I've got a new revelation, and this is what I believe. And, and all of a sudden, these Northern Baptists over here start disagreeing with these Southern Baptists over here, and, and there's a fight in between us. And, and all of a sudden, you Northern Baptists begin to think about, Wesley begins to think about Curtis and Suzanne, and, and they're on different sides of the page all of a sudden. And, and they feel betrayed, because one group's saying, hey, here's the truth. And the other group is saying, wait a minute, here's a new truth I have. And that's what's happening in this church in Asia Minor. And we have so many new isms and so many new ideals today. I think it's really relevant for us to really consider what John is saying to the church of Jesus Christ, to the church that believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to heaven. And the first thing he says to the church is, it's a sign of the times that we live in. Now, we're going to address, because I bet you there's some here today that would say, well, signs of the time, I've heard that all my life. All the way back to John, we see signs of the time. We're going to address that, but if you would, go down to verse 18. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... The, the love of the Father is not in him, for everything in the world is the craving of the sinful man. And the lust of the eyes and the boast of what he sees or what he does comes not from the Father, but comes through the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, as you have heard it said, as you have heard it said, and the Antichrist is coming, listen, and even now many antichrists have come, and this is how we know that this is the last hour. Then went out from us, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, you may have to read that a couple of times. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time, but it took me about four times to get all that straight as I read that. But, but knowing the background, it makes sense, doesn't it? He says, he's talking to the Christians. He's talking to these church, this church in Asia Minor, and he says, the Antichrist is coming. There's been many Antichrists among us, and this is how we know it's the last hour because there were some among us who really didn't belong to us. They've gone out from us. So that's kind of explaining what John's talking about. If we read this and we begin to think about what John is talking about, and I want us to really think about this, this statement that he makes that the, the hour is coming. And I want to ask you this. Have you ever heard uh, someone say that, you know what, I've heard that, my mother said that, my grandmother said that. I've heard preachers say that all my life that we're living in the last days, or we're living in the last hours. What in the world does that mean? I don't know if I really believe that. Well, what I want us to do this morning, I want to, I want to, to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want you to think about what John and other New Testaments are writing. When they, when they said they're living in the last hours, you may say, well, they believed that, and it was, that was 2,000 years ago, plus, 2,000 plus years ago, that, that Christ was going to return in their lifetime. And 
And if they were wrong about that, how much more must they be wrong about today? So I want us to answer that question, and that may be all we have time to do this morning. And if you have that ideal, I want you to think about this. As we read, if we're reading John's Word, do you think he literally meant the last hour to describe this 60-minute period, or figuratively was he speaking? And one thing I want you to think about this, he's writing a letter to this church... He's got to send it to the church. I doubt that that they would even get the letter within an hour. So with just reasonable thinking, you can realize that as John wrote this and as he understood he was going to send this to this church, they weren't going to get that in an hour. So we can understand right at the beginning that it's figuratively speaking that he's not talking about a a 60-minute time frame, but he's just generally talking about an hour. Now, you may say, well, Jake, you're stretching that a little bit. That's your opinion. But the Bible pictures the entire church age from the time that Jesus Christ came into this world and died on the cross. The Bible pictures that as the last days or the final hour. And if you, if you study the New Testament, you realize throughout Scripture, you, you, you see that, that, that Christ says we're living in the last hours and we're living in the last days. And And you go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So so what does that mean? In these last days, in these final hours, in this final chapter, the final stage of of God's redemptive plan... What's going to happen at the end of those final days, that's going to be the climax of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, I think it was J.C., and I've told you all this before, she went to a, 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 a Christian school, and some of her professors in this Christian school didn't believe that there was a second coming, that Christ hadn't come the first time yet. Can you believe that? The, the second coming of Christ... We're living in the final days. We're living in the, in the waiting for the second coming of Christ when, when God is going to usher in His new kingdom. And, and John is reminding us that as Christians, we live in the final chapter. We're living in the end time. See, all the Old Testament, it was pointing towards Christ. It, it was saying, hey, there's a day coming that, that God is going to send the Messiah And you don't hear about all the living in the last days in the Old Testament, do you? Because God hadn't sent His Son yet. But after God sent His Son, then all of a sudden we moved into the last days. We moved into the final chapter. We've we've got to the book of Revelation all of a sudden. We've we've read the whole book and we've seen the plan laid out. and, And all of a sudden we're on the last stretch. You ever go on a long trip? We're recalculating our journey. That's what our whole, whole sermon is about. And, and you make this turn and you make that turn. And, and all of a sudden, you, you're on the last stage of the journey. You, you've turned off 19 and you're on 895 and you're headed to Vasco and, and you're on the last leg of the journey. Well, that's what the Bible's saying. Hey, folks, we're living on the last leg of the race. Everything's taking place that needs to take place. <laughs> the prophecies have been fulfilled. And Christ says, I'm going to return. And, and God says, be prepared because we're living in the last times. We're living in the last hours. So anyone that would say to you, well, 
Well, I've heard that all of my life. Well, realize that last chapter may be pretty long. It's been 2,000 years. But that doesn't mean we're not going to turn to that last page any time. I always think about what Christ said. He said, Christ will come at the hour that you think not. In other words, he says people will be running around saying peace and safety, everything's great. If I ask anyone here today, do you think the Lord will come tonight? What is most of us going to say? Nah, it's not going to happen tonight. Christ says this, be prepared. You, you don't know when I'm going to return. And I'll return at the hour that, that you think not. <coughs> so John says this, it's a sign of the times that we live in, church, that in those times there are going to be many antichrists. And you know what an antichrist is? We, we look for one person. But, but antichrist is really just a figure that says anyone against Christ is an antichrist. Anyone against Christ, it, it's a broad description of anyone who opposes Jesus Christ and what he stands for. Remember what's happening in his church in Asa Minor? There's folks come in who are antichrist. They're against Christ and they're standing up for something. Paul calls it the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. His figure says, will God oppose, will, he says this, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything, talking about the Antichrist that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That person embodies hostility towards Christ. Now, will there be an Antichrist? Yes. Where there will be one that sets himself, sets himself up in the temple as God himself? Yes. <clears throat> but we need to realize, during the end times, there will be many antichrists that come along. Here are some examples. The Roman Emperor Nero, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein. Those, those are antichrists. They're, they're against everything that Christ stands for. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> now... It's not for us as individuals to speculate on who this coming figure might be. I, I think it would be interesting for us in this final hour, and uh, it could last another thousand years or it could last another 24 hours. We don't know, but I think it's interesting for us to think throughout the lifetime of the folks that are just here, how many different people that somebody has said, this may be the Antichrist. <laughs> and it starts back in 1945, and there's a list of people. The first, and I don't know some of these, I don't know this first guy, Pope Pius Twelfth. That was the first one. In 45, people said, this must be the Antichrist. Who remembers in the early 60s? Does anybody want to jump and guess a guess? John Fitzgerald. Kennedy, did y'all ever hear that? He must be the Antichrist. Boy, he was big in the Catholic Church, you know. It, it's got to be him. I told y'all this one time. I remember when I was a kid, Henry Kissinger, that's got to be the Antichrist. Now, I don't remember Henry Kissinger, but I remember people talking about him in the church. That's got to be. Anwar Sadat, he was mentioned. Jimmy Carter, He's got to be the Antichrist. He's a Christian. He got in the White House. It's got to be him. Ronald Reagan. 
Pat Robertson. I don't know who King Julio Carlos of Spain was. He's been mentioned. Reverend Sun Moon, Sun Moon Moon. Y'all know how to say his name? Y'all know the Moonies, right? Who don't know what the Moonies are? A few. Oh, really? So y'all are older enough to know. Boy, y'all, the Moonies used to go. That what we call them? Is that disrespectful or anything? I don't know. The Moonies were a part of the Sung Mang Moon religion, and they would come to you at the airport, and they would ask for donations, and they'd want to sell little trinkets. And uh, if I remember, they didn't they wear white white garbs with, and they were bald headed, weren't they? Y'all, somebody, and I think that's right. You know. Uh, Boy, they were making a huge movement in the United States. They, they, he had to be the Antichrist. Mikhail Gorbachev, I remember this. He's got to be the Antichrist because uh, it says in the Bible that the Antichrist will have a wound to his head. Y'all remember that big birthmark he had on his head? You know, and, and people saying, that's it. You know, that, that represents the wound. You know, as, as John was writing and he, he saw this big mark on his head, that, that's got to be who it is. Or, you know what I heard most recently? Barack Obama could be, couldn't he? <laughs> I mean, the ranch guy's going to come in and he's going to try to make peace throughout the world, and I don't want to go there. I'm not saying that. I'm just giving you a list of people. You know what I ran across? Do you all remember anybody saying that Barney was the Antichrist? Y'all know Barney? <laughs> I love you. You love me. We're a great big family. And we all, what is the rest of that? with a big hug and a kiss from you to me. Won't you be a part of my family? That's where it should have went. <laughs> you know where they folks come up with that at? If you add up the numerical value of all the numbers in Dancing Purple Dinosaur, it comes up to 666. Now, I don't know if that was a joke. Uh, knowing some Christians, it probably wasn't, you know, if they opposed that, but... Who would, I mean, I don't even know how you add up Dancing Purple Dinosaur and come up with 666, but, but all John is saying here is that the appearance of men and women who oppose Jesus Christ is a precursor of the Antichrist coming. Those men and women, whoever they are, I would love to show you some, some footage this morning on, off of YouTube. I knew I didn't have time because it's seven minutes long. But it's of a lady. I won't even tell you who she is, but you all know her, regardless of your age, Oprah, that said, there's many ways to God. There's many ways to heaven. And, and she's having a conversation with a preacher that y'all would all know. And I won't give you his name for sure. But, but anyway, remember this. I don't think Oprah's the Antichrist. But she denies what Christ is. She denies his purpose, and she's a precursor of the coming Antichrist. In other words, she's telling the church, and imagine if she's a part of this church, and you're a part of her Sunday school class, and, and you've fallen in love with her, and, and all of a sudden she says, well, there's many ways to Christ. There's many ways to God. You don't have to go through Jesus Christ. And, and all of a sudden you say, well, you know what? I agree with that then all of a sudden, what has happened? There becomes a division in the church. There becomes betrayal because this person says, well, you're out of your mind. 
Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. And this Antichrist, this person that's against what Jesus Christ represents, says, well, of course not. There's many ways to Christ. And John says, folks, this day and age, we need to be prepared and we need to be on lookout for those who betray. And we need to realize that there are many Antichrists today. And we need to be able to reveal those. Now, how do we do that? We don't do it through listening to Jake. We don't do that through coming to a Sunday school class. That's part of what we do. But we need to understand what God's Word says. We don't simply need to read some little column here or there and all of a sudden say, that must be the truth. So I've got to believe that. And, and that sounds good to me. So, so I'm going to follow that. Jeremy, this, that goes right along with what we were talking about. We, we had on our, our, web page, our, uh, our Facebook that, that uh, the church is not a place for Ken and Barbies and G.I. Joes with a plastic facade. But it's a place where we need to come and be real. Do you agree with that? I mean, do you really agree with that? Well, somebody... Put on our Facebook page, well, where can a veteran go to church in Delta County then? You know what that person did? They read a few lines written on a Facebook post and and drew a whole conclusion about the church. Jeremy did a good job of responding to that. And he said, I would encourage you to go listen to the message, listen to the sermon, Hear, the, hear it in its entirety. Don't, don't simply take something, a few words that someone spoke and, and all of a sudden say, you know what, that must be how someone feels. That must be how they are. Folks, that's what these new age movements do and that's what these new antichrists do. They come and they find some popular subject and all of a sudden they begin to draw people away from the truth of God's Word. And, and when we're drawn away we as a church often can feel betrayed because what has happened. We can often have all of these questions arise and wonder what's taking place in that. When we think about John's read, we think about the readers of John here as they receive this letter, we think about people like Joe, that, that these people came from their own church and, and these people came into this church and they're opposing Jesus Christ. Those people they had lived with, they had worshipped with, they had grown up in Christ with, all of a sudden they've abandoned the Christian walk. They're not one of them any longer, and they, they're no longer followers of Christ. They, they talked the talk, and they, they remained around, but they didn't re- remain. They didn't walk the walk. They, they left that, and, and that's why John says there, we need to remain in Christ. And if we remain in Christ, He's going to remain in us and remain in us. The key word here is those that remained. It's used seven seven different times in that passage that we just left. Seven times. It means to abide or continue or to persevere or to persist in Christ. When we face spiritual betrayal, we need to remind ourselves that we're living in signs of the time of the end of age. We're living in a, a time of of precursor to the Antichrist that comes. We can't say, well, my grandma looked for that, and that's never happened, folks. We're living in those last times. Jesus told a story. This is where we're going to close this morning. Y'all remember, y'all remember this, probably a parable, about a guy who went out and planted wheat. And the parable says, while he was sleeping, his enemy came and planted tares among the wheat. 
Now, I know a little bit of what that is. I don't really know what tares are, but I know they look like wheat. They come up like wheat. They, the, the plant, when it's small, as it begins to grow, it looks like wheat. And the only time you can tell the difference is when it's harvest time. Because up to that very time that is to harvest, it looks just like the other wheat. And that's what Jesus was telling us. At the harvest time, that's when you can tell the difference. There's a, there's a, a period before that time of the final harvest that Jesus is talking about. And at that time, the wheat and the tares will be separated. John's telling us that, and he's telling his friends here, during these final errors, we're going to have times like this. During these final days, there's going to be friends that's planted among us. They walk a good walk, they talk a good walk, but when it comes right down to it, they don't really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And folks, when we get in that situation, I think probably all of us here can think about years and times past uh, folks that we were part of this family, they were coming, they, was, they were in actively involved, and all of a sudden, they've fallen away, and all of a sudden, they're, they're no longer here. And, and we often wonder what happened. I'm not talking about people that, that left this church and went to another church or joined another church. I'm, not ta- I'm talking about those people that, man, one day they were on fire for the Lord, and the next day we don't see them anymore. That's what John's talking about. He's talking about those who simply came, they could be tares planted among the people. The Bible doesn't say that we judge others. The Bible says we judge not others, that we might be judged by those same standards. But the Bible says this, we'll know other believers, how? By the fruit, by the fruit that they bear. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want you to just think about any folks at any time in your life, maybe you've had some spiritual betrayal. Maybe somebody has, has let you down and you, you were following that person. You, you thought that this person is right on target. And all of a sudden, they've fallen away. You know, there's, there's a couple ways to fall away, and John deals with that. We'll look at it next week. But, you know, there's a, there's a falling away when we've just kind of backslidden into, into our sin and an old way of life. But there's also those that, you know, they, they just came and, and joined a country club. And it, it, was, it was never nearly, it was nothing there. All they would claim to be Christians, they would, they would say, well, sure, I, I believe in God. But, you know, there was no root there. There, there was no depth there. It's just popular to do in the family or popular to do with my friends. But folks, the truth of the matter is this. There will be many people that can tell those folks, well, that's okay. You know, you can have your own church. You, you can do whatever. I'm not saying you've got to be a member of East Delta Baptist Church. I'm saying this, you've got to be a part of God's family, and the way we get to God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And listen. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. In these last days, in these last hours, there's going to be tares planted among the church who says, you know, you don't, 
you don't really have to believe that. Those are, those are old thoughts. Those are old teachings. That's exactly what was happening to the churches in Asia Minor. There's many ways to God. You know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you this. There's one God, but there's many ways to get to that one God. That's spiritual betrayal. This morning, I want to I want to encourage you this morning to recognize the age that we live in, the hours that we live in, and I want to encourage you: don't read one line, don't read the back cover of the book, and say, "You know what? Just from what I read, that that's true. I believe that." But take some time to dig into the Word of God. Take some time to research. And study those that you hear. We talked a couple weeks ago about, about going to someone and getting advice, counsel from the ungodly. You know, before you listen to, to somebody's opinion, whether they're a preacher or whether they're not a preacher, know a little bit about them. Dig into their life and see what they truly believe. Because the Lord says in these last days... Many will come. He tells his disciples there'll be wolves in sheep's clothing. Father, I pray this morning as we just consider spiritual betrayal. We know, Father, that in the age we live in, there's been many who's betrayed. The church, the brethren, but most of all you. And Father, I pray that we would be prepared in these last days to reveal and know the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we'd be careful about following any ism that comes along. I pray, Father, that this church would be careful believing my words. But Father, they would test them and prove them through your word and through scripture. Father, I pray that for anyone we hear, anyone we listen to, anyone we take advice from, that, Father, we would test their word and their message against Scripture. Father, I pray that each one of us here would know that there's one way to the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I would pray that if any here are standing on their merits, they're standing on their good deeds. They're standing on their family history. That, Father, we would know and understand that, that all of those things count for nothing but only what we've done with your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now as we have a time of invitation, we would just examine ourselves. And, Father, that we would see where we're at in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual life. And, Father, that we would be producers a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit amongst the people we live with. And I pray now, Father, as we have a time of invitation, that your Spirit would move within us and that we respond to you, respond to your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. With your head still bowed, I want to just, you can remain seated right now. I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to, 
to pray to receive the Lord. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never come to that point of your life of saying, you know, I believe that there's one God, that's great. The Bible says even the demons believe, and they shudder, they shake when they think about the truth that there is a God. But you know what? Believing is simply not enough. Because Jesus says we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We need to believe within our heart that God raised him from the dead. Because when we confess with our mouth, when we believe in our heart, then we're justified and then we're saved. This morning, with every head bowed, I want to just lead you in a prayer. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. There's no magic in the words, but I want you just to come before God the Father this morning, where you are, and pray this prayer with me. God, today, I love you. And I believe today that I have failed and that I've sinned against you. And Father, I believe that I need a Savior to pay the price for my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth and was born a virgin from a virgin. I, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was buried and that he was raised again for eternal life. And Father, I ask that you would forgive my sins, that you would cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. And as I ask for forgiveness, I ask that you would save me and give me eternal life. And Father, I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. With your heads bowed this morning, if, if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, it's just not some words, but, and, and like I said, there's no magic in the words. There's no certain phrase or certain words. But if you really prayed, Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and I ask that Jesus Christ will come in our heart. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, if you really believe that, then you're saved. The Bible calls it this, being born again. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to ask you to do something kind of bold. But in just a moment, I want to ask you just to slip your hand up and take it right back down. I will not come to you. I will not call you out. I will not embarrass you. But if you just say, Lord, I, uh, Jake, I just want you to know I prayed that prayer. I just want to pray for you right now. Just straight up and straight back down. Thank you. Thank you. Anywhere else. I just want to pray for you this morning. Any others? Father, Lord, as we come together, I pray for these this morning that's just been bold enough to say, Lord, I'm going to settle it today. I'm settling that account. I want to know that I've accepted Christ in this morning. I've lifted this prayer up to you. And Father, for those this morning who's raised their hand, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would join in with their spirit. And Father, you would lift a burden that you would give them a peace 
knowing that there's no doubt that they're a child of the kings. Father, I pray also through that prayer and through that boldness, Lord, that your spirit would lead them in their spiritual walk and their spiritual journey. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be about proclaiming your word and your message. And Lord, I pray that as your spirit joins with the spirit of your children, that we would find a peace, that we would find a comfort, that we would find a joy in our walk with you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Again, with your heads bowed, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If, if you really meant that prayer in your heart and you'd like to share that with other brothers and sisters in Christ and you'd like to follow through with baptism, I want to invite you to come. That's what this time is for. And However the Spirit would lead you, that's all I'm asking just this morning, just to say, okay, Spirit of the living God, as you fall fresh on me, I pray that you would guide me, that you'd lead me, and that you'd direct me. I want to ask if you would stand still in the spirit of prayer. Christians, would you pray this morning? Pray for the person on your right, the person on your left, maybe your husband, your wife, your son, your best friend, your granddaughter, your grandson, your children. It may be any number of people. Would you pray for uh, each person on each side of you this morning as we just have the praise team lead us in a, a song of invitation, and would you just allow the Spirit to lead you where you should go this morning?